I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. I know it's the last chapter. It's not much left. We're, we're getting through. But we're just inching along, aren't we, uh, with, with 1 Timothy. But it's all right. It's good. Yeah, and just be praying for me because uh, I think as I'm looking ahead in our preaching series, um, looking at um, perhaps Micah and the Old Testament, and then maybe go into Romans. I, I think I want to be in Romans by the fall if we can do that. So that's kind of, yeah. So be praying for that. All right, First Timothy chapter 6. Again, just a couple verses, but they're really important verses for us to get and to uh, understand. So we'll begin in um, really the, the end of, well, we'll just go to verse 5, actually. Um, 1 Timothy 6, and I'm sorry, yeah, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Paul, Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You know what? I am going to start from verse 1 and just read, just to give you the context. <laughs> Paul says this, verse 1. I'm sorry. This is going to be a long day, guys. <laughs> Matt Miller's like, what? What are you doing? We're going to start at the end of verse 2. Paul says this, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and his teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. Again, we thank you for your precious word. And I pray, Lord, that we are attentive to it, that our hearts are truly engaged, our minds as well, Lord, that that we would learn, that we would be edified where we need to be, encouraged, Lord, convicted where we need to be, so as to turn to Jesus Christ and find our hope in him. So, Lord, please be with me as I bring forth your word. Give me clarity of speech and of the text that your message would come through, that there's nothing uh, biased or anything um, that I would read into the text, but that we are preaching your precious word alone. So we do thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week we did talk about the first several verses, first few verses. And we talked about the troublemakers in the church. And they have been here in the church from the start. They just have. Uh, We looked a little bit at that. But we understand that as Christians, as a church, we need to have discernment. We need to be able to tell the truth from falsehood. That's why we need to know the word. You know, like if you know the original, you could tell what is false uh, and, and be able to deal with that. So we need discernment as a church, vigilance, in action, because it's constant. It doesn't stop. False teaching continues to come in, try to make its way in, and we need to be vigilant about that. 
And then we need action to take action on that. Right? So we recognize false teaching and teachers. We resist it. That dude doesn't like the sermon from the start. <laughs> so okay. He'll be back. Uh, we recognize false teaching. We need to resist it. And then we need to confront it as well. Okay, so we don't just walk away from it. We need to be sure that we're able to confront it and deal with it. Because for so many, so many false teachers in this church, so many ideologies that come into the church that find their way in, they're like peddlers. They're selling something. And the bottom line and the motive oftentimes is money. It's about, there's, there's a lot of money in religion. So people will try to sneak in false teachings from prosperity gospel to CRT. Believe me, there's a lot of money to be had at the end of the day. As a matter of fact, we have um, a slide, uh, a quote. I want to read this quote. You don't get rich writing science fiction. If you want to get rich, you start a religion. You know who that dude is? You know who L. Ron Hubbard is? Tell me. That's right. He is the, the founder. The, he made up Scientology, and look where Scientology is today. That's right. Um, so I'm sure he did make a lot of money, but... Understand that, that godlessness does do that for so many. And what they do is they use godliness, like the the cloak of Christianity, the cloak of religion, as a means of gain, to gain power, to gain influence, right? You're going to listen to these people. They're going to have power. But bottom line, more often than not, it is about money, right? Power, influence, and or making money. That's a motivator for so many. So Paul says that ungodliness coming in, great. that's not what it is. For authentic Christians, here's what it is. True godliness is a means of great gain if you're a Christian. So, so he transitions to where true contentment comes from as Christians and for Christians. And it's not about chasing money. But if you listen to the world, if you listen to, to everybody out there, that's what, what do you mean? It's not money makes you happy having a certain amount, being able to do this. That does bring contentment, actually. See, it's real counterintuitive as Christians. Money has its place, for sure. But it doesn't bring the contentment that only Christ can. And that's what Paul's really trying to communicate here. So what I want you to do real quick is look at verse 10, because verse 10 is really the um, key to this whole section. It's kind of the theme, and you know this verse. Everybody, even if you're not a Christian, people know this verse, right? What's it say? That the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But what do so many people do with that verse? So many, as many people know this verse, misquote this verse. How do they misquote it? What do they say? The money's all evil. Yeah, that's what they say. Oh, you know, the, money, the love of money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. Remember, the root of all evil is not money. It's really Satan. He's the murderer and a liar from the beginning. That's the root of all evil, right? Money is the root of all kinds of evil, and that's really important to make that distinction, you know, because it is a truism. Everybody just knows it's just obviously true. So, what Paul is not teaching, and understand this, and what Scripture does not teach, Christianity doesn't teach, we're not teaching that obtaining wealth or being wealthy is wrong in any major way for us as Christians. It's not wrong. Christianity and wealth are not incompatible. You can be wealthy and be a Christian. You can enjoy your wealth, right, in certain ways. There's, there's, you know, fundamentally, there's nothing wrong 
with that. It's not somehow sinful to be wealthy. You don't need to be embarrassed or ashamed by it if the Lord has blessed you, especially if you work hard, man. You work hard for your family. You work hard and you get the fruits of your labor. Amen. Praise God. If you get an inheritance from family member, praise God. There's, there's nothing inherently wrong or sinful about that. It's good because especially as Christians, we know that we could take care of ourselves, our family, and we could take care of others. We understand that aspect of it. So we're not greedy in, in that way. It's, it's not a sign of greed, and it's not a sign of privilege to be wealthy. So just make sure you understand that. So there's not that kind of guilt. I'm not trying to guilt you if the Lord has blessed you, and you, know, you, you have means to, to get along. Who was rich in Scripture? Abraham, right? He's in heaven for sure. Huh? David? About Solomon, you could read, like, I was going to read, but I'm not taking the time to do that. Like, the provisions for one day, like, in, in Solomon's life and in, in the kingdom, just so much of this, so much of that, so much of that. Wealth beyond belief. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. We know that for sure. Lydia, she was probably rich, that seller of purple. So, you understand that. I, I, I hope you do. It's the love of money. That's the problem. That's where we get into trouble. We need to guard against that. So, so the Greek word is philaaguras, philaaguras. You would know phila, what's phileo, that is, that's love. And aguras is the word for silver. So it's really that love of money. In other words, where it becomes, and I know this is a struggle, even for believers, where it just becomes that really mm, close friend, that companion that you love, that you really can't do without, that you don't want to, to do without in, in any way. It becomes so dear to us, so precious to us that, that we pursue it, that we depend on it for uh, happiness and for joy, and for comfort and, and security completely upon it. But what it does, and when we view it that way, it competes with our affections for God, doesn't it? It really does. And, and, and that's, that's a, like a chief idol is that love of money because it competes for um, our affection, our trust, our sense of peace, our sense of purpose, even our source of purpose. That comes from Christ, right? And, and, and source of contentment, not from chasing wealth or having wealth. So Paul's warning against that, especially if you're, te- you're not teaching for that. You're preaching because this is what you're called to preach and teach for the glory of God, whether you have nothing or whether he gives you everything, right? So, so that's the idea here is that, that we can't chase that love of money. For us as Christians, the Shorter Catechism, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is our chief end? What is your chief end if you're a Christian? What's the most important aspect and thing in your life? What do you want to do most of all? Our chief end. What we're made for, man, by God, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is our chief end. Right. The love of money, philaoguros, is more like their chief end, or chief end there is to chase the almighty dollar and enjoy it for as long as you can. See, we're not there. We should not be there as Christians, especially. Paul makes a distinction from the false teachers using it as, as gain in that way to an authentic faith that's manifested in godliness, right? And the result of that, or the result is, or it's accompanied by contentment. So if we're living for Christ, that's where our contentment comes from. Where does your contentment come from? What makes you happy? What gives you peace? If, it, if it's not Christ alone, now other things can, blessings do help, right? 
and they give us a sense of security that we have from the Lord, but that proper perspective begins with the Lord. If everything was taken away from you right now, where would your faith be? Ask yourself that. That's what Paul is, is, is getting at here for us. Godliness with contentment. That, that sense of well-being, that sense of unwavering trust, that, that it's not based on our circumstances. So there's two big ideas that I want to talk about that Paul encompasses, or these, these passages encompass this morning, regarding the dangers of loving, philoguras, money, or chasing wealth, right? That we need to be aware of. Even as false teachers come in the church, because they're going to come at it this way oftentimes with the false teaching. That's why we need to discern. But even in your own life, because it is a real struggle for us at times, even as Christians. We could talk a good game, but when it comes right down to it, where is our faith? And what does it, what does it rely on most of all? So a couple things. Number one, the love of wealth cannot satisfy our deepest need. Only Jesus Christ can. That's it. The the The... The love of wealth, that's not going to satisfy our deepest need. Only Jesus Christ can do that for you. Verses 6 through 8. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Right? Wealth isn't sufficient. It serves a purpose but it can also serve as a counterfeit to, to actual faith. It's kind of like the perfect idol, isn't it? Because it, it, it demands our worship, and we want to worship it. We want to have it. We want to serve it. We pursue it. We do whatever we can to get it. It's like, a, it's like such a good false god for us to take our eyes off the, off the true Lord, off the true, off true God, isn't it? it? It promises so much if you simply... Go after it, if you chase it, if you seek it with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But it leaves you empty, and it leaves you without hope ultimately, right? It's not sufficient because, number one, it ignores true or authentic gain. Verse 6, Paul says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's a big deal for us. What's godliness? What's that mean for you, for us as Christians? Look. It's, it's kind of vague. When you think of godliness or a godly person or a devout person, you think of, oh, a holy person. And I was raised Catholic. You thought of the saints. Now they're holy, you know. That's not what godliness is. Godliness is, is, is you, Christian, every single day understanding your absolute dependence upon Jesus Christ. That's godliness right there. When you know that you are not sufficient in and of yourself, that it's all about Christ all the time. Godliness is that trust and that reverence for Christ, that piety, yes, I do love him, and I do love his word, and I do want to learn, and I am going to pray, and I am going to seek to obey him, because I love him, that's godliness, man, that, that's what it's, that's where our contentment comes from, when we have that mindset to serve him, that's number one, number two, godliness is just like that providential perspective, when we view things as scripture teaches us through the lens of providence, man, not just, oh, if I only had that, then I would be okay. If I got this, then I'll be happy. No, you're here now where you are, what you have, because he has placed you here. So you are here in that place by his providence. So it's good to view our circumstances and it's true to view our circumstances and it's right to view our circumstances through the lens of God's providence. 
This is where he has me. Am I going to be faithful to him in this particular situation? Or am I going to cry and moan? Or am I going to wail and, and moan until, or am I going to you know, grow cold in my love toward God, towards God because I don't have, right? We have to have a perspective, just like Joseph. We talked about that last week. I'm here because God sent me before you that many would be saved. Don't worry. I understand. It's God's providence. You did it. You were wrong. Your motives were wrong. But God has me here in this place for his purpose. That's what godliness is. That trust, that utter reliance, viewing things and, and from a perspective of his providence, his working out, his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving, governing of all his creatures and all their actions. It's about a commitment to rest in and to rely on Jesus Christ all the time, every time, no matter what. That's godliness. That's all. It's just our commitment to Jesus Christ. Um, Passages that speak to this. Look, check it out. Paul says this. He's in prison unrighteously. You know this from, you know this, most of you. He shouldn't have been in prison. He was there wrongly. What did he say? Not that I'm speaking out of need, for I've learned to be, learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. That's our word, to be content to be settled, to be all right in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know it. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I know what it's like to have nothing. I know what it's like to have a lot, right? In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's a very popular passage, but that's what I was just talking about the last three or four minutes. It's exactly a spirit that we need to have our utter dependence upon him, providential perspective that we have in him. Right? That's, that's what we have. Go on. Hebrews 13.5 says, look, man, keep your life free from the love of money. It's the same word that we have in our passage today. Keep it free from that, Christian. You're able to do that because you're leaning on Christ. If you're not a Christian, you have to trust in something else to give you purpose, to give you meaning, to give you hope in your life. You know better, man. So keep your life free from the love of money. And be content, there's our word again, with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. So no matter what position or place you find yourself in, right, especially if you're down and out and it's a hard time, you still know that he is with you. You understand that? That you're there for a reason and a purpose and he still loves and cares for you if you're in him. So be content in him. I know it's easy to preach this. I know it's hard when you're in that actual situation. But this is where our faith is kind of is tested this is where faith this is where the rubber meets the road right it's easy to say you love him when you have everything and you're trusting but when you're down and out you have nothing and you still have that contentment that's your faith and that's the godliness and that's what he's seeking to her isaiah 26 3 says you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you that's it that's, that's what we're called to do. That, that's where our contentment, our contentment is related to who we are in Christ and not to how much is in our bank account at a particular time. And that's not some, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound pious or, you know, downplay, not, not having much in, in that regard. But this is some of what makes you different, that you belong to Christ. And this is what others need to know and need to see, that I can be content in all situations. I'm not going to be sour. I'm not going to be so afraid. I'm not going to be so worried. I'm not going to be so angry all the time because I'm relying on this God over here that really can't satisfy. But I have a God who does no matter how much or how little I have. Capiche? Does that make sense to you? I hope it does because it's actually very biblical. 
So please have that mindset. If you're chasing wealth, if you're chasing wealth, you'll never gain contentment. I mean, true and lasting contentment. Don't worry, for a long time, you can go on for a long time and money can make you happy. You could do this and you could do that. But you guys know the stories. The people with the most money sometimes and they've done everything, they've had everything. And it's just like, I really have nothing. I don't, I don't. And we want to say, what? Are you kidding me? You can get on a yacht. You can fly on a plane today. Are you nuts? I wish I had what you had. But it can't satisfy our, 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 our deepest needs if you're chasing it. Christ is the only source of that. True and lasting contentment comes through faith in Christ. Your wealth can't save you. Again, it's kind of that perfect savior. If I only have money, then I'll be happy, I'll be content. It's a functional savior, right? It can bring joy for just a little bit. It'll satisfy. It can't satisfy you ultimately, but for a time it can satisfy you, but not for long. You know what Henry Ford said? Ford Motor Company founder, towards the end of his life, after all that wealth, after everything he had, after everything you wish you had, like him, or just a quarter of what he had. You know what he said? He said this, I was happier when doing mechanics work. I was happier when I was a mechanic, as opposed to owning this multi-billion dollar corporation. Another person has said that money isn't the solution to your problems. It only lets you carry your unhappiness around in style. That's it, right? That's cute. My best friend I grew up with, his name's Danny, and uh, he is today beyond, like, I mean, this is the kid that on, like, Tuesday mornings in the summertime when we were off school, we'd go and knock on his door. We'd go down to Memorial School and play baseball and roll around in the mud all day long. I mean, we just grew up together like that, you know, just best of friends in, in, in every way. Um, somehow he, he got really successful, <laughs> He was always a good student. But he is like beyond like what we can imagine wealthy. And he was in he was in town. Like he's a CFO for a major medical corporation now. But he uh was in town a few years ago and we got together at our favorite haunt, one of our favorite places, Charlie Stop. You guys know me, like the hoagies and wings. Uh but he had his family members there and a couple friends. And just for a moment I got to have a little bit of time with him. And I just thought, I just asked him as a friend because this is a dude I grew, you know, like me, kid. I said, Danny, what's it like to be so rich? <laughs> you know, just what's it like? And you know what? For that moment, for that moment, his countenance kind of fell a little bit. And he just looked at me and said, Joey, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. And I wanted to pursue that, but then my cousin... Joe, the other Joe Griffin, just kind of came in the conversation. And so we lost that conversation. But it was just so interesting to see that. And I could just see it in his eyes that, man, I mean, like, man, if I had just a little bit of what you have, we'd be not really, you know. So so somebody has said that money's like salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you get because it can't fully satisfy you. For us as Christians, it has to be Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. And I'm not, yeah, says this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in God, in the God of my salvation. That's contentment. That's true contentment. In the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the hope that 
we have. And it just goes so counter of where people think true contentment lies. And if I have this, then I'll be happy, then I'll be safe, then I'll be secure. It's not that. Chasing on wealth. Uh, That's number first. Number two, chasing wealth focuses primarily on the temporal and not the eternal. Verse 7, check it out. It says this. We brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. Again, another truism. People say that. You came in here with nothing. You're obviously going to leave. You can't bring it, bring it with you. You came in naked. Uh, when a person dies, as one person so aptly, sta- aptly stated, you will never see a hearse towing a U-Haul to the graveyard. And it just doesn't happen, right? You can't take it with you. It's not going to help you. It's no comfort there. You like that, huh? I thought that was cute. Uh, cute enough. But listen, the sober reality is this. Mark eight thirty six, And this is what we need to understand. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That's the perspective. It doesn't matter how much. Please turn with me to um, Luke chapter 12. Luke 12. I'm going to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles. And you know this, the parable of the rich fool. Luke chapter 12. And again, this isn't to say, well, as, I, as I qualified in the beginning, our attitude towards wealth should be. But we got to be careful about how we get it and how we go about it and how we view it because it could really consume us, right? That's it. That's what, that's what the teaching here. So you know this parable beginning in verse uh, 15. And Jesus said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And that's the goal. That is the chief end of so many people. Ask your friends. They might not say it like that, but for so many unbelieving people, that is it, right? I want it, want more to have it so I can enjoy it, so I can retire when I'm you know, 58 and just live my life in that way. So, so he goes on and, and he says, I eat. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You're a fool, mister, because this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up his treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. See, that's what we want to be, rich towards God. He's chasing it, right? You're you're chasing that. What's that going to... There's no eternal value. It's very short-sighted. It's for this life only. That's it. It's just for, for what we have here. Are you living for this life only? Again, we want to live for this life, but as Christians, we have an eye towards eternity as well. And that's a big deal for us. This isn't pie in the sky. These aren't just you know, little platitudes for Christians so you live your life. And I'm serious, man. This is what it means to be a Christian because it's actually hard to do this. It's not easy to say, Lord, I am trusting on you no matter what without being angry, without becoming bitter, without saying, you know what, man, it doesn't seem fair, right? That's what makes it, that's what makes a Christian, is that we could do it in a way that we're depending on him. Not that we're just so glad, oh, I'm happy, I'm poor. I'm just, a, no, it's not, it's hard to be that, in that position. I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. So it's not like this. I'm not trying to give you a pep talk here. 
I'm telling you, man, this is what it is to be a Christian, that we're relying on him more than on ourselves and more than the things that this world can give to us. You understand? Because we have everything in Jesus Christ. It might not be realized now, but it certainly will be realized then. Just like he tells us in Matthew uh, chapter 6, Jesus says this, you could, don't you lay up your treasures on earth. Don't think it's all about this, having this and getting this and just getting your pleasure and joy from, from the things um, that you could purchase, that you could possess, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your heart, Christian? Is it with the Lord? Right? Like I said earlier, if it was all taken away today, where would you be? Emotionally, spiritually. Where's your understanding? See, that's number two. That's a sobering reality. The, the essence of godliness is living here, living here as Christians with an eye towards there. That's what, that's what we do as Christians. Yes, we live here, and, but we know that this isn't our home ultimately. Right? So we're laying up our treasures there. How? Through godliness, man. Through loving the Lord, through being sold out to him, being used by him, living your life in a productive way where you're bringing forth the gospel, where you're showing forth obedience, where you're honoring him, where you're a good husband, where you're a good wife, where you're obedient children, where you're, where you're, when you're pleasing the Lord from your heart, just like the things we said, right? That's godliness. You're laying up treasures in heaven in that way. Number three, chasing wealth just complicates life. Check it out, verse 8. Verse 8 says this, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Again, that sounds so, I don't know, pithy, pious. All I need is bread and water and I'll be happy. That's not necessarily, I mean, who doesn't like a good steak, right? <laughs> Once in a while, shrimp, surf and turf, whatever, you know. So it's not like that. And it's not that we can't have those things. But if we didn't have those things, we're still going to be content because we have Christ and all that we need. Amen? That's the idea here. Listen, it, 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 uh, I want to give you just a proper perspective. It does help to have worldly, like the goods that the Lord blesses us with. It, it is, it's not bad. You know, if you, have, if you have some wealth, then you do have a measure of freedom, man. You can do this. You can help others. You're able to go to this place. There's nothing wrong with that. It, it does make things easier in different ways. That's for sure. And let me tell you, man, living in poverty is a tremendous hardship. I, you, I could, we could tell you from experience for that season where we were in deep poverty. It's no fun. And there are people that are kind of just trapped in that poverty. There's hardships every single day when you don't have money, where you don't know where you're really going to get food to eat for that day. Or you're depending on, on government assistance, which is such a hassle and the, and the hoops you have to go through. And talk about selling your soul in, in that way. And, and, it's, and it's, it's a tremendous burden. It's a weight. It's like a literal weight on your shoulder when you don't know how you're going to pay your bill. When you don't know if you're going to have gas in your car the next day, man. So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, to say, oh, it's wonderful to be, to be poor. I'm not asking you to take a vow of poverty. Like we know from our history class, these guys that go, <laughs> the monks take those vows of poverty. It's not, it's not like that. It's relentless when you're poor. There's, there's constant worry. That's why people, when they're poor growing up and they make money, they hold on to it because they don't want to go back there. You can understand that just a little bit, right? It's scary. It's humiliating. It's embarrassing. You know how embarrassing it is when you don't have? 
Do you know how many people look down on you? Just like scripture tells you, people despise the poor just as much as they respect the wealthy. You could be the biggest rat in the world and be wealthy. People are going to respect you. But if you're poor, they're going to look down on you for sure. No doubt. No doubt. I know that of which I speak here. It's not a good place to be. So I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what the scripture does say is the love of money can and does obscure the simplicity of life. It does at times. How much is enough? How much stuff do we need? You know, that, that, that must-have item two years ago, I bet, is in some junk drawer in your house at this time. Or it's in a storage locker you're paying 100 bucks for that you're not even going to use this stuff anymore, right? That's, that's it. What do we need in, in that way? There's worries about managing, maintaining, monitoring, complicates relationships so much of the time. How many families are just torn apart because of that wealth? Because they come into that wealth and they sue each other and they hate each other. They cut off each other and and they break. See, it it complicates. Paul's saying here, look, man, if we have those things that we need every day, there's contentment there. The Lord's taking care of us and we should be content in that. It doesn't mean you can't want or strive or work for things. It's not a saying at all, but that can't be your chief end. That can't be, well, if I get that, then I'll be happy because you do get that sometimes and you're still not happy. It's, you know, it just keeps going and going and going. Where's that contentment? If there's contentment in Christ, then we could use that which he's given to us in a proper fashion, in a proper way and use it rightly. Amen? Many transitions. Chasing wealth uh, can't satisfy our deepest need. Only Christ can do that. The love of money, number two, has devastating effects. Check out the results. Check out the fruit. Again, this is the love of money. When you're chasing that, when that becomes your goal, when that's when you think the only thing that's going to really help you out is is this. Um, he He goes on to say this in verse nine. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. See that? That's, what, that's so good, man. Uh, it just says, it leads to sinful entrapment. And that is in the present tense. That means it happens now or happens over and over again. It just kind of is ongoing. When you're chasing money, when you're chasing wealth, that's what it is. It's like one thing after another, over and over again. And temptation, something you shouldn't do, you know you shouldn't do it, but you're going to do it because you might be able to really get rich from this, right? It's, this time, is, this is the one. This is what's going to... Paul is so vivid in his description, and he does use strong language again. You know, they who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. That's a trap. You know, like then would set a, a trap for animals. Uh, hunters would do this, and, and, and uh, an animal would go through and kind of get caught up and get trapped in that thing. That's what this does. That's what the, that love, when you're endlessly pursuing it, when it's your God, it ends up being a trap. Temptations that capture you. You're trapped, and it's such. It's so ironic because you're trapped while you're trying to seek contentment. That's the last thing you're you're going to find when you're doing it this way. So, just a couple of examples. Like gamble, people can think, when do you get trapped in when you do this kind of stuff? Like gambling debts. We all, oh man, person got in. I knew a kid we played hockey with uh, in, in high school. He was like 18 years old, 
And like two dudes show up at his parents' house and say, he owes us $10,000, and if he doesn't pay, something bad is going to happen to your son. He was the goalie on our hockey team. And I was like, dude, how'd that happen? Well, his parents had to take a loan out to pay these guys off because he got in over his head. That's just like foolish, stupid things that we kind of get into. That's easy enough to see. And it's, wow, how could you do that? But what about you, man? What about us? What about our credit card debt, right? Is that a trap or any of you trapped there? Right? You have four credit cards that are maxed out with no chance of paying them off. Why? Because you had to have that television set, man. You had to have you know, that, that, that vacation. You, you, had to, you had to have that latest phone. You just had to do it. That's a trap. That's, that's what he's saying here. Right? So it doesn't have to be the big examples. It's, it's everyday things that we're tempted to do because we love that money because we think it's going to make us happy and it just buries us. That's what he's saying. Don't do that, Christian. Be content with what you have. You don't need the latest and greatest. I know I'm preaching this and it sounds easy, but you know, next thing I know, I'm going to want the new iPhone when it comes out. So we have to battle that, right? And so there's a temptation all, all the time to, to, to go in that way. It's senseless and it's harmful. He uses this word. It plunges people into ruin and, dis, and dis, to destruction. To be plunged means to drown, to be covered, to be overwhelmed. Oh, man, I'm in too deep. How many times do you hear people say that? I'm in over my head. I can't. That's what this is saying. That's what he's saying here, right? I'm, I'm in way too deep on this one. That foolishness. Oh, this is a sure thing. This time, man, we're going to make it. All I need is a, just give me an investment. Just give me 10, 10 grand, and this for sure this time it's going to, right? We're going we're gonna to hit it big this time so I can finally have peace and contentment. Verse 10 says the root, the root is the source of all kinds of evil. That's the fruit. The root and the fruit is that love of money. Check it out. People chasing wealth, and this isn't a secret, people chasing wealth. So to find contentment, so I could be happy in my life, if I just had this, if I just had that security in order to find that contentment, have committed almost every conceivable sin that, that, that Scripture brings out that you can think of, right? To one degree or another, including you, including us. Who hasn't lied to gain money? Who hasn't cheated, stolen things to have, right? If I just have this, then, then I'll be okay. What else do people do for money? Take a bribe? Oh, here's my integrity. Here's, here's what I took a vow to do and not do. But if you offer me enough money, then I'll do it. And that's, it comes into to the ministry big time. They're, they're not excluded from this. Right? We're going to be bought out by somebody in order to, you know, at least I have this money. So what's the big deal? People have extorted other people, taken advantage. How many seniors are taken advantage of by so, these thieves? And scrupulous people that will just take your money, man, and laugh at you when they do it. You think they're, they think they feel bad for you when they call you up and scam you? You guys know the story about my dad. I'm not going to tell it again. But he almost got scammed out of several thousand dollars, right? They don't care. They don't care about your situation. Why? So they can have money for themselves to be content. That's the root of all kinds of evil. You do all kinds of things to get it, to make your dream come true, so-called. Gambling to excess, the sex industry? Are you kidding me or what? Right? They take the gift of God, that beautiful gift of God that's meant for man and woman in the context of marriage, 
and just totally distort it. Why? For, for gain. From prostitution to porn, sex trafficking, billion dollars people are making money. Some people kill for money. Literally. They sacrifice relationships. They'll divorce because they're going to have a better opportunity here. You just can't provide for what I need, so I'm going over here. They'll sacrifice their principles, their convictions in the church. They'll teach erroneous doctrines. They'll entertain false ideologies. They'll, they'll compromise the truth. They'll peddle the word of God, and they'll dishonor Jesus Christ, all for the love of a buck, all for the love of money. How about Judas? Chief primary example in Scripture. What did he do for the love of money? And you know the word that's used for him? What was it? 30 pieces of what? Yeah. That's it. That's the word. Phila aguras. It's here. Demas, Paul said he loved this world. Right? Countless others have plunged themselves into ruin, have destroyed ministries, have destroyed relationships, have destroyed lives, the confidence of people in Christ because of their love for money. And that's why we need to be discerning. And that's why we need to say no, especially when they come into the church and they try to use this to gain this. You understand? And there's so many people, loving, caring, sheep like you, that can be taken, get over on by these ones. It's happening all the time, every day. That's why we need to be discerning. That's why Paul says, that's, that's not godliness if you're going to gain that, that power, that money. Great gain comes with that contentment. So you want to look in your leaders. Are they content with what they have? What are they chasing? What are they asking you for? What are they charging you for? Right? Of course, you need to take care of your, your pastors, obviously. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. But you need to be careful because so many are out there saying, you give me $100 and you'll be feeling better tomorrow. I'll say a prayer for you and you'll get, you'll get healed. Huh? You, know? you want that miracle? Just send money this way because God's anointed me. Are you kidding me or what? We laugh, but you know what? Those dudes make so much money. So that that one program, that one healing ministry, people were sending money in and their cards in with their heartfelt requests and prayer requests. And what they were doing, they were opening the the, uh, cards, taking the money and just tossing the cards. They weren't even reading the cards, let alone praying for or promising him. But that's what goes on. There there, there are seminary presidents, there are, are pastors, like we said, even with the CRT, there's big bucks behind that. And so if we just change our ideology, we're, you know, we're not going to take your funding away or we'll give you a little bit more over here. There's a real temptation to that, isn't there? Right? Pastor, if you just say this or don't say this, we'll make sure that you're going to be taken care of. There's temptation there for sure. That's how these snakes get in. And that's why we have to say no each and every time. If a ministry charges you, look, man, no ministries need money and you should be giving to help out. But if they say, here's what you must pay in order to get this, no. Like, I, you know, it's just, it's un, you can't fathom that. Well, I'm not going to do your wedding because you can't pay me $300 to do that. What? I'm not going to do a funeral because you can't, no. No, well, we, give, we give away for free. We make sure you can get because you need this to grow in your faith. It just goes on from there. So that's why we need to, to be careful and watch out in that way. Some of you might be saying after all this, it's not money for me. You know, Pastor Joe, I'm not really a Christian, but it's not about money. I don't love money. I could do without money. 
um, I, I'm kind of okay with, with that. It's, I don't, I'm not like this person here. Okay, but what is it for you then? What is it for you? What are you looking at? What are you looking to to, to give you hope? What are you looking to? Because there's something else. If it's not Christ, it's something or someone else that you're looking to as a functional savior. So it might not be money, but what is it for you? Is it your profession? Is it your job? Is it your reputation? Is it a relationship? Is it another person? Right? Is that your functional savior? Is it yourself? Hey, man, I just love myself, and that's it. I just need me. You look into yourself for, for uh, salvation, for success, for excess. What is it, man? What is it? Is it partying all the time? Is it getting wasted? Is it, what is it that's going to try to bring that contentment that you don't have? Apart from Jesus Christ, you'll never have it. In Christ, you might not have anything in this world, but you will have peace and you will have contentment and you will have joy everlasting. Understand? So come to him today if you're not in him because you're going to try everything else, everywhere else. You're going to think you're smart. You're going to think you're good. You're going to find it over here. It might work for a while, but in the end, it's going to be empty just like everything else. Only Christ is new every day in his love that fills us up. So trust in him. Believe on him. Give your life to him. Repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ today because this is so much more about money. It's about where your faith lies and how deeply you trust in Christ, his providence that brings peace and contentment. You know why we have peace and contentment as Christians? Not because we have Christ, because he has us and he promises to never leave or forsake us. That's why we have contentment. That's why we could be okay no matter what situation we're in. And even if we die, we know we're going to be with him. The worst thing that can happen here, I guess, is die. But that's the best thing because then we're with him. What unbeliever, what person that doesn't believe in God can say that? You can't. I know he did a good job pretty much. I know we're getting a little bit long today. It's okay. We're just about done. No matter your circumstances, can you say along with Paul, I have learned how to be content in whatever situation? Paul is not some super apostle. He said it himself. I'm not one of these super apostles. He's the least of all the apostles in that way. All Paul is is, a simply, is simply a follow, faithful follower of Jesus Christ, just like you and me, just like we ought to be in that way. That's all the apostle Paul was. He was a faithful. You want to be like Paul? What's stopping you? Just yourself. We want that faith. What's stopping you? Just yourself and your commitment to Christ. That's the only thing that's stopping you because that faith that he demonstrates is the faith that we have in Christ and that's the faith we ought to be bringing forth in him. Our contentment's in Christ, not in anything, anyone else.